Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. We're going to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30 today. This is a portion of scripture that preachers love to preach because it practically preaches itself. 1 Samuel chapter 30, and um, Meredith preached such a great word last week all about the, uh, the woman that was caught in adultery, and I took so many great notes from this, the reminder of how much Jesus loved her and how much Jesus loved us. And, and it was uh, so great. I just love sitting there and hearing when Meredith preaches the way that she did last week. Wasn't it good? And, and people ask uh, us questions every now and again about how come we have two pastors that preach here at this church? How come we have two? I'm used to a church that might only have a pastor that preaches And the reason is because we believe that God can use both of us in different kind of ways. The way that we love to lead is that I love to defer to Meredith in ways that she's gifted and the way that she's anointed. And then she loves to defer to me in ways that I'm gifted and I'm anointed as well. And so she takes lead in a lot of the preaching responsibilities. And I take lead in a lot of the leadership and a lot of the team and a lot of the meetings and a lot of the structure and facilities and a lot of those kind of things. But we've got some overlap as well. So so how do we lead? with a lot of prayer. That's how we do it. Anyone that's married and leading together, you know that it takes a whole bunch of prayer to be doing it, but we feel graced and privileged to be leading the church, and, uh, and we're so thankful for your continual prayers. So 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 8, we're going to read this. I read from the ESV, and it reads like this. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, and they killed no one. That's significant. But they carried them off and went on their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives, I only need one, but David apparently needed uh, two wives. David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David, someone say David, strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue? you after this band shall I overtake and the Lord answered David pursue for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue your version of the Bible may say that he surely will recover all recover all Life is really complicated this is what I've realized by this stage in life is that it's complicated 
life uh, is is experienced with both highs and lows. You have good days and you have bad days and very seldom do you have everything going well and everything going in your favor, nor do you have everything going against you. We have seasons where there are times where something is going well on this side and something is going poorly on this side. There are times when your finances are making sense over here, but then your kids are not listening to you over here. There are times when you're excelling in the workplace over here, but then everything is messed up over here. There are times when you can hear from God over here, but then you're frustrated because you're walking in illness. Life is complicated. Life is filled with roller coaster seasons and seasons of frustration. This is not just true for the seasons of life that we have. This is true for the months and for the weeks and for the days of life that we have as well. I had a day just like this on a Tuesday just a couple weeks ago. I woke up thinking that it was going to be a relatively normal Tuesday. I woke up thinking that this was going to be a Tuesday that was going to be kind of mundane, just like every other kind of Tuesday, and turned out pretty quickly that this was not going to be a Tuesday like any other Tuesday. Before noon, I had been cussed out by somebody as a result of some confusion. It wasn't here at the church. It was somewhere else. But somebody cussed me out because of some misunderstanding and some miscommunication. And soon after that, I was on my way to graduate from the course that I've been studying in nonprofit management for the last year. I had had a frustrating moment, and now I was experiencing a moment of celebration. But before I could even get into that graduation moment, I received a phone call that someone from our church had just been in a car accident and had passed away. Moments of celebration and moments of pain. Soon after that, in that evening, I went to go and visit a friend who had just given birth to their very first child. Moments celebrating life and moments frustrated at death. Highs and lows. And this is what I've experienced in, in pastoring is that it's not simply that the hard times are difficult. It's the extremes between the hard times and the good times. How many seasoned saints know that it can be frustrating because you don't just get to experience the good times without the hard times trying to rob some of those good moments from you? This is the frustration in life is that it is a roller coaster. It is the tension and the spectrum and the fluctuation that exists between the two times, the good times and the hard times. And this is where we find David in this story. David has just been anointed king moments before. He's been anointed as king, and now he is being attacked by the king, Saul. David is experiencing a season in the wilderness. He's experiencing a season of backsliding with the Philistines. David has been spending the last 14 months of his life backsliding with the Philistines, the Philistines. You know who the Philistines are, right? David has just been spending the last 14 months with the Philistines. He knows who he is. He knows that he has been anointed by God. He knows that he is one of God's favorites, but he is now backsliding. And this is sometimes how we live our lives, knowing who we are, but with separation from God. We know that we are saved, but we put some distance in our relationship with God. 
We, we think that I can be saved and add some separation in that relationship because I'm still saved and I'm still good with God, but there's now separation in that relationship. I know at the end of the day that I'm saved. I know at the end of the day I'm good with God, but there's great separation in that relationship. And this is exactly what's going on with David as he's been backsliding in the wilderness for the last 14 months with the Philistines. The Philistines, who David has just attacked and killed Goliath from. And we know that David has written over 70 different psalms over the course of his Bible. But during this 14-month period, not one psalm was written. For 14 months, David is living in the wilderness, backsliding and frustrated because now... He has been rejected by the Philistines. David was happy to continue journeying with the Philistines, continue partnering with the Philistines, continue attacking other villages with the Philistines, but he has just been told by the Philistines, we don't want you around here anymore, and he's just been told that you need to leave. And so now he's being told that you need to return back to Ziklag, which is where his family is, which is where his home is. And so David now has a three-day journey from where he was to where he's going. Three days of frustration, three days of rejection, three days of pain, three days of reliving conversations, three days of, of frustration in his own life, and three days of getting tired and exhausted. For three days, David is thinking about how good it's going to be to be at home, to be with his family. Three days to think about sitting in his own chair and watching his favorite show. And three days to get back home. David's thinking about all these things for three days. And I don't know if you've ever traveled for a long period of time, having grown up in Australia and now living here. We have journeyed back and forth between Sydney and Toledo multiple times. And that takes one day. And let me just tell you, after one day of travel, we are exhausted. David traveled for three days. Day after day after day, David is on this journey. Every day that he wakes up, he is reminded of his own rejection. He is reminded of his own frustration. And when David arrives, as he turns the final corner, he realizes that the place that was meant to bring him recovery, the place that was meant to bring him peace, the place that was meant to bring him recovery and restoration and joy has been wiped out by the Amalekites. And what's frustrating about this for David is that this is an enemy that he has inherited. David never did anything to the Amalekites. David didn't start the fight with the Amalekites. This is a battle that David has inherited. This is an enemy that David has inherited. Let me rewind back to when Moses with the Egyptians, he's having a conversation with a Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, eventually after the 10 plagues, Moses is able to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and they go through the Red Sea. And because there's over a million people that are traveling through the wilderness with Moses and the Israelites, some stragglers begin to fall behind. I don't know if you remember this story. What happens is that Moses says this is not going to happen. He turns and begins to fight against these people that have begun to attack his own people. And Moses is now standing on the top of a hill and he knows from God that when his hands are raised in the air, when his arms are raised in the air, he's going to win the battle. 
and his arms begin to get tired, and so they sit him down on a rock, and Aaron stands on one side, and Hur stands on the other side, and begins to raise his arms so that Moses and the Israelites are able to take victory against the people that have attacked his own. And the people that attacked his people are the Amalekites. The very same people that David has just been on the receiving end of. The very same people. And what God tells Moses in this moment is that there will be a time that you will rise up as a people and you will be able to wipe out the Amalekites. Fast forward to Saul, King Saul. He is told by Samuel, this is the time. This is the time to rise up and to wipe out the Amalekites, to wipe them off the face of the earth. This is the time to get rid of all of them, all their possessions, all their stuff, get rid of the Amalekites. And so Saul goes off to battle and he partially obeys. So much so that as he's returning back from his victory... Samuel goes to him and says, what is this sound that I'm beginning to hear? What is this sound of sheep that I'm hearing? What is this sound of cattle that I'm hearing off in the distance? And Saul, feeling pretty good for himself, says, well, this victory was so easy that the Amalekites fled, and so we just took all their stuff, and we were able to bring it here. Isn't this so good? It is the partial obedience of Saul that has led to this frustrating battle that David has now inherited. It is this ancient enemy that David has inherited that he didn't even do anything to receive. Maybe think about how often we go through life with ancient enemies of our own. Makes me think about how many times we go through life with ancient enemies that we have inherited. It makes me think about how often we go through life with ancient enemies that we refuse to deal with. There are parts of town that you refuse to go to because you had a difficult moment take place there. There are places that you refuse to go to because someone broke your heart there. There are, there, you decide sometimes before you even get into the office that you're going to have a hard day, that you're going to have a rough moment because there's someone there that has offended you that you still haven't dealt with the root of that offense about. Ancient enemies that continue to rear their heads back up. And this is what David has inherited. I feel for David in this moment. I feel for him because not only has he inherited this enemy as a result of the partial obedience of Saul, but I feel for David in this moment because he's grieving in his soul. He's grieving the loss of his home. He's grieving the loss of his family. And then his very own men begin to turn on him. The 600 fighting men that David has with him begin to turn on him. These are the men who were meant to be encouraging him. These are the men who were meant to be strengthening him. These are the men who have begun to turn on him. It makes me think about how often in life we reach points where we have reached our own limit. 
It doesn't take long in life to realize that you are now at a limit that you didn't think that you could get to before. You thought that you had your finances under control, and then now all of a sudden your finances are no longer under control. And you turn to your friends thinking that your friends are going to be supports for you, and then you realize that your friends are not there for you anymore. And then you turn to your job thinking that your job was going to be a place of security for you, and there's no security in your job anymore. And you turn to your God because you think that your God is going to be is going to be helpful and then your God is silent and you turn to all these different directions and you feel like you're being struck from all these different directions and you feel like you're being hit from all these different directions and you lose your footing, you feel like you're getting winded and you have no support from any direction that you turn to. This is where David finds himself. Having wept so loudly, having wept so much that he's not able to weep Anymore, And this is exactly where David finds himself, having now made the decision that he's not going to weep anymore. The good news about if you find yourself in this moment that you feel like you've lost your footing and you feel like you don't know where to turn and you feel like you don't know which direction is right and which direction is left and which direction is the right direction for you to go. The good news is that that, that will only exist for a moment. That will only exist in a temporary moment. Joy is coming. Freedom is coming. Healing is coming for you. When you feel like you cannot find your footing, the good news is that you'll be able to find it when you make a decision for yourself. When you decide for yourself, I'm not going to weep Anymore, when you decide for yourself, I'm not going to give any strength to this issue anymore. When you decide for yourself that I'm not going to live in pain anymore. When you decide, but you have to decide for yourself. When you decide. It's like when you wake up every day. If you wake up and you think to yourself, I wonder what today is going to be like. I don't know if you ever think about that yourself. I wonder what today is going to be like. If you ever wake up and wonder what the day is going to be like, it's going to be 50-50 at best. I've learned to no longer wake up and wonder what the day is going to be like. I've learned to wake up and to tell myself I am going to have a good day today. I don't wonder if I'm going to have a good day. I am going to have a good day because I am blessed and I am highly favored and I am above only and not beneath. I am going to have a good day today. So I don't wonder anymore. I've learned to decide within myself, I am going to have a good day. I am going to have a good season. This is my season of abundance. This is my season of breakthrough. And so this is exactly what David does in verse 6, right at the end of verse 6. This is what it says in in verse, uh, verse 6. It says at the end that David strengthened himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. Your version might say that David encouraged himself in the Lord. I like this because David in this moment tells the priest to get him the ephod. And the ephod is this apron-like garment that essentially represents the presence of God. Part of why I like David is because he knows what he needs in every single moment. David knew that he could play the harp, and the harp would cause evil spirits to leave Saul. But he doesn't call for the harp in this moment. He calls for the ephod in this moment. 
David knew that he has a slingshot that could take down a giant, but he doesn't call for a slingshot in this moment. He calls for an ephod in this moment. David knows that he has a sword that he could attack an enemy with, but he doesn't call for a sword in this moment. He calls for an ephod. He calls for the thing that is the representation of the presence of God, and he wraps himself in the presence of God. And this is where everything begins to change for David because he wraps himself in the presence of God. I like this because he begins at this moment to strengthen himself, to encourage himself in the Lord. I like it because he can encourage himself in the Lord. He can strengthen himself in the Lord. But I want to make one point really clear. The reason that he strengthened himself in the Lord is because he didn't have other people around him to strengthen him. The fighting men that he had around him, they should have been the ones that were strengthening him in the Lord. These were the men that should have been loyal to him, that should have been supporting, that should have been strengthening, that should have been encouraging. But these are the ones that have now begun talking about stoning their leader, about stoning David because they're so frustrated and they're so grieved that they have lost their own. David had to encourage himself in the Lord because he had no one else around him that would strengthen him, that would encourage him. And sometimes this scripture is used by people to say, I don't need the church because just like David strengthened himself in the Lord, I can strengthen myself in the Lord. Just like David encouraged himself in the Lord, I can encourage myself in the Lord. I don't need the church because just like David, I can take care of myself. And how many seasoned believers know that it comes a time that you need the support of a family to walk through a difficult season with you? There comes a time when you need the encouragement of your church family. Then comes a time that you need the prayer of your church family. You need the support. You need the generosity. You need your church family to come around you. David encouraged himself in the Lord because he had to. Not necessarily because he wanted to. So David encourages himself in the Lord. I want to talk for a moment about how we can encourage ourselves in the Lord. This is how we do it. Number one, you remind yourself to have an accurate view of just who God is. Number two, you remind yourself to have an accurate view of just who you are. And number three, you remind yourself to have an accurate view of the situation and the circumstance that you are in right now. Firstly, number one, you remind yourself to have an accurate view of who God is. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be on my mouth. Let all things that have breath praise the Lord. My God is able. My God is abundant. My God is a way maker. My God can perform the impossible. Come on, I thought that this was a church that loved to lift up the sound of our God. My God is able. My God sits high and looks low. My God is able. My God is able to move mountains. My God is able to open prison doors. My God is able. My God is able. There's nothing that is too hard for our God. That is who our God is. That's our God. You got to remind yourself about who God is. Give yourself an accurate reminder of just who God is. That's the first thing that you've got to do to encourage yourself in the Lord. 
Then number two, remind yourself just who you are. This is where we talk to ourselves. Psalm 42, verse 11 says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is where you remind yourself about who you are. You remind yourself that because God is your father, therefore you are his child. Therefore you are his son. Therefore you are his daughter. Therefore, you are royalty. Therefore, you are a part of royal priesthood, joint heirs with Jesus. This is who you are. If God is your shepherd, then you are one of his sheep. This is who you are. God has created you to be awesome, to be incredible, to be an image bearer of Jesus Christ. So first, you remind yourself who God is, and then you remind yourself who you are, and then you remind yourself to have an accurate view of what is going on in your life. This is how we do it. We rehearse our victories. We tell the enemy that in the same way that he didn't win in the past, he's not going to win again in the future. This is the same way that David began to rehearse his own victories and to rehearse his own successes. And he said, I remember that time when that lion came against me, and I remember when I overcame that lion. He said to himself, I remember when that bear came against me, and I overcame that bear. I remember when that giant came against me, and I overcame that giant. David begins to remind him himself to have an accurate representation of his own situation. He reminds himself of his own successes. He reminds himself of his own victories. This is step three, when we remind ourselves to have an accurate representation of what is going on in our life. This is what Job did. David reminds himself that while he has lost a lot, he didn't lose everything. When David returns back to Ziklag, David looks around and he says, well, I don't see anybody, but I also don't see any bodies. He says, I may have lost a lot, but I didn't lose it all. And this is what Job experienced when Job had a whole bunch of stuff that was taken from him. Job had a whole bunch of his family that were killed at the hands of the enemy, but he didn't lose everything. Job never lost his wife. And so while Job may have lost his fortune and Job might have lost his children, what Scripture tells us is that the latter days were even better than the former days. What Scripture tells us is that Job had double at the end of his life than he had when the enemy began to meddle in the middle of it all. And it got me thinking about how so often we think about all the stuff that we have lost. And we put our focus on the stuff that we have lost and everything that we have lost. And if I'm anything like you, then I know that I have lost a lot in my life. But then I just shift my attention and I shift my focus, not from the things that I have lost, but I think about everything that I still have left. And I would tear this church up if I began to think about all the things that I have left. I still have my praise. I still have my salvation. I still have my Jesus. 
I still have my healing. I still have my sound mind. I still have it all. I still have it all. I still, come on, you just got to release 30 seconds of it. I still have kind of praise. I still have my, I still have it. God, God has preserved me. God has put an angelic protection around me, a hedge of protection around me. The enemy has not taken everything. I still have. I still got it. I still got it. The enemy hasn't taken everything. I still got something left. And if, if you have something left, then God can work with that. I still got it. I still got something. I still got something. But I, I don't want you to mistake my praise for thinking that I've never been through nothing. What I have learned in seasons of life is how to have a mature praise. So much so that my praise is not dependent on the circumstance that I find myself in. My praise is not dependent on the season of life that I find myself in. My praise is not dependent on the things that are going on in my life, the, the good times and the bad times. My praise is not attached to those things. My praise is attached to God. God and his goodness and his faithfulness and his character and his mercy. And that's what my praise is attached to, not the stuff that's going on in my life. And if you are new here, then you might think that I can praise with abundance because I've never been through nothing. I just want you to know that this is a place that you can come and worship. This is a place that you should come and worship even when you don't want to. Even when nothing is going your way. Even when you don't think that you should be here. Even when you think that you don't belong. This is a place that you need to be. This is a place that I want you to be when nothing is going in your favor. This is a place that I want you to be when you're ashamed at the stuff that you've just done. This is the place that I want you to be. Come on, how many seasoned believers know that this is a place that you need to be even when you don't feel like being here. You need your church family so that your church family can strengthen you, so that your church family can encourage you, so that your church family can wrap our arms around you. This is the place that you need to be even when you don't feel like you should be here. This is the place that you need to be, and this is the place that I want you to be. And David is now encouraged in the Lord. David's encouraged in the Lord, and he asks God, shall I pursue? And God responds, you shall surely pursue, and you shall overtake, and you will recover all. This is what God tells David. And I love it because he's telling David that everything that the enemy took from you, you're about to get it all back. You're about to get every portion of it back, everything that the enemy did to you. I'm about to turn it all around for your favor. I'm going I'm to I'm turn this corner in just a moment, but before I do, I just need to speak to those of you who have, feel like in this past season you have lost your pursuit. You can only overtake and you can only recover all when you pursue. If you do not pursue, you cannot overtake. If you do not pursue, you cannot recover all. And in this past season, you may feel like you have lost your pursuit. You may feel like 
like the goal is just to join online every Sunday, like the goal is just to try and make it to church on time. There once was a time in a different season when you would show up early and you would start to pray. There once was a time when the only time that you read scripture was not when it came up here on the screen on a Sunday morning, but that you would wake yourself early in the day and you would press into the presence of God and you would pursue the purpose of what he has for your life. And as I'm speaking in this moment, you're being reminded of a time when you pursued God, a time when he had all of your heart. And now you know that if I was to ask you, where is your Bible? You might sheepishly say, my Bible is hidden under about three years of dust. I haven't touched it in a little while. Maybe that's true for those that are joining online, but maybe for those that are here in the worship experience, you've lost your pursuit in the worship experience. Your whole posture is to now be leaned back. Your whole posture is waiting to be entertained. Your whole posture is waiting for someone to do something for you. None of this is a show. None of this is for you. This is what we do together. Scripture says, let us go to the Lord's house. Let us exalt his name together. Let us, let us, let us. That means from this side of the room to that side of the room, let us. Together, Let us all pursue. Let us all press in. Let us all experience the presence of God. But if you're waiting for me to entertain you, if you're waiting for Meredith to usher into the presence of God, then you've missed your pursuit. And what if, what if instead of just aiming to arrive at church on time on Sundays, your goal was to arrive early? Your goal was to bring your Bible. Your goal was to pray before you even got here. Your goal was to begin to press into the presence of God so that you knew what heaven wanted to do today before you even got here. What if your spirit began to be aligned with the purposes of heaven over our church family? What if that was your pursuit and not your own comfort? This is what it means to have your pursuit. This is what it means to get your pursuit back. And as I was reading through this scripture, I started, I started thinking about how I wanted to close. And I, I, was, I was drawn to this portion of scripture. I've, I've read this scripture like a dozen times. But I was reading in this portion of scripture as the story begins to turn. And something stood up on the inside of me. David is told you shall pursue you shall overtake and you will recover all so then in verse 11 it says they found an Egyptian in the open open country and brought him to David they gave him bread and he ate they gave him water to drink and they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins and when he had eaten his spirit revived when he had not eaten or drunk water for three days and for three nights. And David said to him, to whom do you belong? And where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant to an Amalekite. 
and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. I read through this scripture and this Egyptian that they encounter ends up being the key for David and his men to be able to recover all. He tells him where to go and he tells him how. He gives him a strategy on how they should attack the Amalekites and recover their family and rescue their family. As I'm reading through verse 13, something just stood up on the inside of me. I said, read it again. So I read it again. And David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me and say, there's something there that you need to focus on. Read it again. And I was like, I've read it again. There's nothing there. David said to him, to whom do you belong and where are you from? He said, I am a young man of Egypt, a servant to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. And the Holy Spirit said, there it is, three days ago. I said, three days ago? What happened three days ago? Hold on just one moment. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day. Third day. Three days ago was when David had just been rejected by the Philistines. He had just been told, you cannot come and fight with us anymore. Three days was the journey that David has now gone through of frustration and rejection and hurt and pain. Three days ago, he has been experiencing his own pain and his own rejection. And David now realizes that three days ago was when he experienced his own pain and his own rejection. Three days ago was just when this Egyptian has also experienced his own pain and his own rejection. And David begins to wonder, could it be that God has orchestrated the pain of my life from three days ago and the pain of this man's life from three days ago. Could it be that God has orchestrated the thing that the enemy had meant for evil? Could it be that God has begun to turn it around for my good? Because what David now begins to realize you're gonna catch this in a moment. What David begins to realize is that if he was allowed to go with the Philistines, then he would not have been sent back home to recover all. He had wanted to go with the Philistines. He had wanted to attack in this direction, but God said, no. God used the rejection at the hand of the Philistines so that he could come back and that he could encounter the Egyptian and that he could, could recover all. Could it be that God orchestrated what took place three days ago and what took place three days ago all for his purpose? Could it be that Jesus was able to orchestrate the woman with the issue of blood that has been bleeding for the last 12 years? Could it be that Jesus was able to orchestrate the healing of Jairus' daughter and the woman with the issue of blood 12 years and 12 years and three days and three days? Could it be that God is able to provide a ram caught in the thicket bush for Abraham to be able to sacrifice instead of his very own son, Isaac? Could it be that God is able to orchestrate things when you don't even understand it? 
Could it be that the providence of God is working even when you don't even understand it? Could it be that that rejection that you experienced in this past season that you still haven't let go of, that you're still feeling painful about, could it be that the rejection that you experience is actually the providence and the protection of God in your life? Could it be? Could it be? Could it be? Let's all stand in this moment because I heard as I was praying last night that the pain of this season is getting ready to be the harvest of the next season for you. The pain of this season is getting ready to be the harvest of your next season. Could it be that that illness, that that pain that you are experiencing, those questions, that doubt that you have in your own life, could it be that God is gonna use it all for His glory? That God has turned it all around for His good? Could it be? Could it be? Could it be? This is why you have to be careful in the hard times. Because if you rush past the hard times, then you're gonna miss what God is doing in the middle of them. If David had rushed past the rejection at the hand of the enemy, he would have missed what God was doing in the middle of it. If you rush past the rejection that you are experiencing, the depression that you are experiencing, if you try and leave the season that you are in, you're gonna miss what God is doing in the middle of it. You're gonna miss the understanding that God can be your God in the good times and in the hard times. That God can be your God in the good times and in the bad times. Don't rush past rejection. Don't flee from rejection, embrace it. Because it could just be that God is turning it all around for His purposes and for His glory in your life. And it could just be that the pain of this season is getting ready to be the harvest in the next. Would you pray with me in this place? God, we thank you. We thank you. We thank you, God, that the pain that we are experiencing in this season or the pain that we experienced in the past season, that it is not being wasted that nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. And God, we are giving it to you in this place, believing that you are gonna do what only you can do, that you are gonna turn it all around for your glory, that God, it's not wasted, that my pain is not wasted, that that rejection is not wasted, that this depression is not wasted, that this hurt is not wasted. God, that none of it is being wasted because you're turning it all around for your glory, because it's getting ready to be a testimony on the other side, because it's getting ready to be a story on the other side because it's getting ready to be a harvest on the other side God and we thank you for it in advance we're thankful today God that you're in the middle of it we're thankful God that you want us in the good times and in the bad times God we're thankful for it we're thankful that you don't leave us that you don't abandon us that you don't forsake us God we're thankful that you're God amongst it all that you're a big enough God to be with us in the mountaintop and a big enough God to be with us in the valley and everything in between God we're thankful for God, we give it to you today, asking for the great exchange, believing that everything that is exchanged with you is coming back better. God, we receive it as our portion, that everything that is being given to you is being received back even better than the way we gave it to you. 
God, we give it to you today, asking for you to do what only you can do. And I thank you for it, God. We give you a praise and we release a praise and a thanks in this atmosphere because we're believing that it's already done. It's already done. It's already done. It's already done. It's already done.